Okay, so so what do we call this? I mean, I don't know. You, you wanted to be Ballers Podcast, but I don't know. What about magicians and car getting coffee? You know? Yeah, I, I also played Magic. Since when? <laughs> this millennium, or? <laughs> so uh, it, it's KYT here with, with my man. Pro Tour champion Alexander Haynes. Alexander Haynes. <laughs> but my, my friend called me just Pro Tour champion Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're, we're not going to... This won't be an interview format. I think it's just going to be like a podcast we do and we just talk as we normally do and people have this inside uh, look at stuff we talk about. Yeah, if, if you get put off by KYT being made fun of, you should probably just <laughs> stop listening right now because it's going to happen. I warn, I'm warning you. So it's a, a pilot episode and hopefully uh, we're going to do more if we get a reasonable amount of listens. Let's, let's start with... Uh, I don't know, we'll start with, like, hopefully aim for 500, and, and we'll go from there. Um, so I think, let, let's just jump right to it, to, to something I'm, I'm curious about. And, and How um, good was the ramen earlier today? Or? <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good. We had this, good. The, the spicy chicken ramen, and I, I thought you'd gotten it before, but it was it was much better this time around. Yeah, I, uh, Kintan Ramen, we, we've been there multiple times, and we're going to record there because usually when we show up, because it's a weekday, there's, there's not that many people, but today it was just packed, and uh, we're now at Avenue G Cafe, but but the ramen was really good, and uh, the best the, the best one I've had, and we're, we're going to have a picture of that, for sure. Oh, yeah, the best I've had there, at least. I think the, the first time I had real ramen was in Japan, and it, I, I, you know, I'm still chasing that high, kind of, right, of, of, of having that. It was so good. I, you know, I, I lie, lie awake sometimes at night thinking of that ramen. <laughs> Um, let's go to a question our friend, your, your student, let's say, Final Nub, Jonathan Zhang, had uh, based on some of your tweets and um, your tweets that, that you're returning on Tuesday. I mean, people are worried. They're, they're worried about you, and, and they're wondering where you're, you're at, some of your friends, uh, health-wise, or if you're okay now. Well, I'd, I'd say that I'm about, like, 90% of, of my, my baseline, let's say. So, still not... St- there's still some some stuff there that I'm working through, you know, still seeing doctors regularly and stuff, but... I'm looking to be looking to be better, you know. Looking to even improve my baseline, get to 110 percent, you know. As since now that I'm a professional athlete, I have to say 110 percent at least a few times. So, but yeah, no, things are things are going better, you know. It's a upward slope at least, and that's that's kind of what what matters, right? It's just like in a tournament, if you're 7-0 and then you lose the last one, you feel like crap. But if you're if you're 5-2 and you win the last one, you feel great, you know. Despite the fact you're 6-2 instead of 7-1, so I actually feel kind of good right now because. You know, been improving. Yeah, it's just classic poker. You'd rather uh, be losing and, and win, and then like start winning and losing. <laughs> yeah, you you just always remember what happened most recently to you. You know, I think it's something about the human condition that we just are tra- are, are trained to to care about the immediate stuff more than the long, big picture. Um, I, I had lunch with you before the t- you, uh, you flew to your tournament. Sig rags. You, you were going. <laughs> You said you were probably gonna, you know, whatever it, and, and just play Tron. What was that? What happened? Was there any like decision process? No, I, I, yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm going to this tournament. I have to attend this tournament. I'm, I went out early to, to, <laughs> to, to, to do some limited testing or whatever. We had some play test cards that, uh, you know, including lovely one-two flyer for colors in the blue with attack prowess written on it, which, you know, mean, means you get plus one, plus oh, only attack prowess when you cast a spell. And, uh, you know, I got some, some practice in that way, so I felt pretty confident about the limited format, but I'm not really a huge fan of modern, 
you know, I I understand why a lot of people love it. It's just it's just not for me, and I think that's fine. You know, this the, one of the beauties of Magic is that there's just so many formats, and you can just find whatever you love. You know, I don't really love playing Commander either, but I understand a lot of people do, and I can see why it's fun. It's just not 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 what I personally enjoy that much. So. I decided in the past I often would stress up to the last day of, oh, what deck am I going to choose, you know, and like worrying about what's one sideboard slot and stressing over it so much, you know, when really, ultimately, what does it really affect your tournament performance? It's just a tiny, tiny percentage. Like, Magic is a game of small edges adding up, but I think just not the, the having the mental state of not really stressing about these things is possibly more valuable than just figuring out, you know, being 74 of per the perfect 75 instead of 75 to <laughs> 75, you know. And a lot of my teammates who I respected, you know, I, one of the reasons I team with these guys is that I, I respect their opinions, and they all have, you know, I, I like to say they all, they're all flawed in their own ways, you know, we're all human, so for someone like Ivan Flock, if, if he, 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 just, he registered Esper Control for this event. <laughs> So Esper Control is a fine deck, but when Ivan Flock's registering Esper Control, I don't really take too much notice. He loves to play that stuff, you know. <laughs> but if he if he's playing Mono Red Burn or something, then I'm like, whoa, what's going on? You know, this deck must be busted because you know why is Ivan playing it instead of some janky blue red, white control deck? Right, right. So I don't take that much notice. But some you know people, a lot of the people on my team like uh, Paul OPV, uh, Mike Sigris, Siggy, and Andre Strasky, honey. Uh, we're we're all all on Tron, and they you know they're not necessarily all players who I would expect to play Tron. I haven't I've never seen any of them register Tron in an event before, and so I just I, I talked with them a lot. And even though I didn't play games myself, I watched some a bunch of games of Modern play out and talked to people about the stuff. I find I often learn more from watching people play and talking to people about Magic than actually playing the games, because in one game you only get to see the possibilities that unravel in that time and so you have to play a lot of games to kind of build up muscle memory but when you watch watch games and talk to people you get you know their vast reserves of knowledge kind of you get you can siphon off of them usually like I still remember in, in before GP Vancouver that you ended up winning you would you would ask me I don't know if you actually wanted my opinion and what you should play and I'm like probably want to play the thing that, that gives your opponents the toughest decisions because I think you can navigate that those paths uh, better better than most people if not all and um, oh, GP Vancouver was a funny one though because I was rooming with a bunch of people including Brian Zemba uh, a, a Calgarian of, of repute I guess you could say <laughs> At one point, he, he he'd cashed like four consecutive GPs, and, and I think you were trying to hype him up as the next hottest player in Canada. Well, no, right? we, we were hyping each other up as the two most underrated Canadian players. Sure, sure. So I was rooming with him, and he, he, he only didn't have the full number of buys like I did for the event. So back then, there's still paper deck lists. So I, I'd written out my paper deck list of some control deck, and I'd given it to him and said, can you just hand this in in the morning? So then I'm sleeping, and then I get a phone call. It's Zemba. He's like, Alex... I'm so sorry I lost your deck list. And it's, you know, five minutes before deck lists are due. Oh, my God. I'm like, what is it? I'm like, all right, look. Just here's this what, this deck list that Saito posted, okay? Oh. Just just take this blue-eyed control deck that he posted and just submit that. I'll, I'll change my deck to that. And so he did, and I changed my deck to that, and I just won the tournament. So... <laughs> I'm, there's, a, there's a lot. There's a lot of people like Reed Duke is famous for you know being from the structured you know work hard, grind it out, you know, be be very disciplined. School of magic, not me. No, no, I'm I'm 
I'm all over the place, and certainly, you know, it's it's better to be more disciplined in terms of. I think you'll you will see some benefit to your results, but it just never ha has worked for me. I, I find actually that a lot of the like re extensive playtesting sometimes hurts my results because I think my conscious mind is better at playing magic than my subconscious. So when I play on autopilot, I'll, I'll play at 90%, but that's, you know, I'll be capped at 90% because that's what'll happen. And But when like I have to, I'm a lot slower when my conscious mind does things. But I often hit the higher echelons because I have to actually think through things more. And I have a good autopilot because I played a lot of magic. I just haven't necessarily played with these particular decks. So I have to think things through and it often gets me to, you know, 95%, let's say, instead of 90%. So, um, back to Tron, did, did you feel like did the games go the way you sort of expected? Did you have any chance of really outplaying people, or, or it was just the power of the, the deck was too strong? So, yeah, actually, the, I think the games were a lot more interesting and skill-intensive than I expected. I expected just to be like, uh, land map, sack map, play Karn, you know, whatever. But... You know, everybody. You're not. You're not really trying to interact that much, but everybody else kind of is. And there's a lot of like, you know, against the humans deck, for instance, they have all these meddling mages and Thalias and Kitesil freebooters and all this other nonsense that you have to fight through. And you know, some of your cards just aren't that good. Like Karn is kind of seven mana kill a permanent. All their things are mostly the same. Um, even you know, let's say Jund, I, I, or, or uh, they have you know Fulminator Mages after sideboard and Thoughtseize and stuff. And how do you thread the needle kind of to find find a way to win? Um, it's interesting because also you know everybody talks about the London Mulligan, but the open deck list was a huge factor too, because especially even playing a deck like Tron, you know whether you need to have Karn on turn three or Wormquill on turn three, for example, like against humans. Karn is not that great. You want O-Stone, you want Ugin, you want Wormcoil. But, right. but against, you know, for instance, against Scapeshift or the Mirror, you really want to have Karn on turn three to get rid of their lands. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff there. And I, I, did, I did think that there were a lot of spots where my decisions mattered, and often I made the wrong ones because, you know, not not playing at a, a hundred, but like in the in the top eight I made against in, in my in the top eight match, I made uh, one one large error with uh, where I, I allowed myself to go into autopilot. And, but there, there's definitely a lot lot more going on. I think one of the big skills, though, with with Tron for this tournament with the London Mulligan was the London Mulligan itself. I think a lot of people didn't Mulligan enough, and they didn't necessarily you know know which hands to keep and which cards to bottom and stuff. And I think that's it was really interesting. I think that. With previous mulligans, it's, there's been kind of a binary thing of is this hand to keep or is this hand to mulligan? And then now with one mulligan, you have, you draw seven cards and you have to keep five of them. You know, you know that this, this hand's good enough to keep five of, but that's already the decision you had before, but now which two do you put on the bottom can be quite interesting. Like, I had one hand where, you know, I do I, do I keep, like, the ways to try and get Tron? Or do I like keep one minus one piece and keep a Karn in my hand to hope to draw a way to find a last piece of Tron because there's more of those than there are cards in the deck. 
just an example. There, so the the deck was still more skill intensive than than I expected. Though I did play it because I was hoping to to be easy. <laughs> One thing you know we were talking about is like, well, as our team was like, look, you can play Tron, you can play Amulet, and they have very similar matchups across the board. But with Amulet, it's just so much harder to play. You just you could just screw yourself over by making a mistake in way more ways than you can with Tron. So why would you actually just have to go through more mental work to get the same result? Right. Um, final note also wanted me to ask you like how, how many times during the tournament were you able to turn three cards on one? Fewer than you would expect. I think somewhere in three or four times I think I turned three cards. But I had I, I usually would I would do something I, I, I was pretty good at assembling turn three Tron so it was often I would sometimes have you know a ballista or a, or a worm coil. But, I, but yeah, I, I, post board a lot of Thrag Tusks as well. Thrag Tusk is quite a powerful magic card. Do you know how often, like, what are the plans for open deck lists? Just for the, the Mythic Championship? Obviously, I think in my head, it doesn't seem feasible in a grand scale tournament like a, like a GP or anything. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's the real purpose is so that they could have coverage, have the deck lists completely open, and. Because they're they're trying to you know make magic an esport, it's way more important to for the quality of the viewing experience relative to the quality of the playing experience. Okay. And so this was a bit of a, a, a compromise, you know, that they they want it they want to improve the viewing experience. They want people to want to watch magic because in the past they haven't had necessarily the best numbers. And with the push towards arena, magic is much more digestible, I think, as, as to, to watch. Uh, and so having open deck list helps that a lot. People can really follow along much better at home. But I just like that you mentioned it added a, a strategic dimension, just like the humans example that allowed you to be like, okay, you know, worm coil is more important than Karn, and that wouldn't be the case in in regular a regular tournament. Right, exactly. Like it happened with my opponents too. The way they're mulliganing, you know. Uh, there's one round of the tournament, in fact, round four, the first round of Modern, where we didn't have deck lists. And I, I mulliganed to six and thought about it and put a Relic of Progenitus on the bottom of my deck. And my opponent turned out to be on dredge. So it was... <laughs> I, of course, if I knew that, I would have kept that Relic of Progenitus. But. Okay, so what, it is for streaming purposes, and that's why if, even that round, there was no open. It wasn't a, a huge exactly. deal. It wasn't a huge deal. No one's, like, complaining... Um, outside of, of my man, Miss Plains Ginger, who ended up like sitting at the wrong seat at the wrong table. <laughs> That's on him, though. That's on him. <laughs> Look, if, if if you're gonna read the two as a seven, you know, I'm I'm sorry, but competitive magic's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> he needed he needed that necklace to confirm the name of his point. But there's no match slips. I guess I don't. There are match slips. Yeah, they they bring out match slips, but you don't your your focus isn't necessarily oh, right. on that. Something they also did here is they not, not only had match lists, but they had slips where you would put your name, your opponent's name, who won, who was on the play, and who was on the draw, how how many cards you mulligan to, and then who won, because they wanted to have that data for the London mulligan. But again, you know that I think that data is somewhat flawed because of the open deck list. You, it's hard to separate those two things. You know, when you do a scientific experiment, you're supposed to have a control group, and you know you change one variable for the group you're examining. And here they just change two variables, right? So it's it's hard to hard to separate the two because I certainly there's some hands where even without with without London Mulligan, you know, with just London Mulligan, I would have capped. But the fact that I know the open deck list, I had to Mulligan. Like in a Tron mirror against Wilson Mock, 
I, I know, you know, you have to get early Tron, and Karn is the is the key card. Worm Coil is fine, but it's not not that big because they can play Karn and just eat it, right? Ugin, also not amazing because Karn just kind of trumps all. And so I'm, we both ended up mulliganing to four, and he had a turn three, wor- turn four Worm Coil, and I had turn four Karn. And then I had turned five Ulamog too. You know, Mulligans <laughs> to four. Not what they used to be. I'll say you can you can definitely still win. <laughs> um, did you did you say you print your, your team printed some cards for limited or no? Well, we we uh, we made some playtest cards. Yeah, to, because the set wasn't out yet, so we needed to uh, to make some of those. There's a very big distinction between that and. And counterfeits are proxies. You know, right, proxies right, right. Are, are created by a judge at a tournament. Counterfeits are made to pretend to be real cards. And what we were using, nobody would have thought was a real card. Okay. Um, but we could still use them for the pra- the purposes of trying to experiment with draft. We'd sort cards into piles basically by colors of commons, uh, uncommons, planeswalkers, and rares. And then kind of you just take two... The, the, the colors would have some other colors randomly inserted. And you just take two of each color, so that's ten cards... Two uncommons, it's 12. One rare, one planeswalker. And if your planeswalker was a rare, you would swap it for another uncommon. And, and then that was our way of trying to manually create packs. And it felt reasonable. It's very different, though, from the real tournament because there's print runs in, in the real tournament. So when you open a pack in our testing, it would, you know sometimes it would have, let's say, Obnixilis' Cruelty and all the rest of the commons would be crap. But now, the, seeing the print run at the tournament, the, some of the pack, some of the print runs were just like absurd commons. You know, you'd have Jaya's greeting and Obnixilis' cruelty, and like you know some 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 good green commons like let's say band together. Sometimes would all be in the same pack, and you have to decide what, what you're going to take. And it's much more of a signal in some ways. Um, always curious about your thoughts on Limna because um, true or not true, I mean I. Uh, it's no secret to anyone that, that has followed us since 2010, I guess, that uh, we have a huge mutual respect for each other. I think that uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe one-sided, um, but uh, I've always regarded you as, uh, the, well, the best player that I know. And, um, and then you need to go out and meet some more people. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you won... Um, PT uh, Barcelona, I thought I was just the start of, um, which I stayed up to watch, and shout out to everyone else who did. I think Rob Anderson, Jay Rich, a bunch of people uh, were really sweating that one. It was really special to see, like, I think it was the first time we, we felt like we saw some someone we were we felt really close to go all the way. And I thought that was just going to be the start of what was pre- going to be predictably a Hall of Fame career, just like um, how, you know, it's, it's just some people you feel like eventually they would get there, sort of like Jerry T, it's like, oh, community contributions and he's just missing like a top eight or whatever to get in. And, and I felt the same for you. And then despite all these strong years, you have been top eight at the PT and people were, you know, was it his limited game or anything like that? And I know that a few years after, you, you, you had told me personally that, you know, you felt you learned a lot more from people like Siggy, that, that uh, certain concepts that he had taught you that really upped your limited game. So so how do you feel about your limited game over the years? Had it, like, improved, and where are you at now in terms of limited? Yeah, well, I think my limited game has improved. I think it's interesting that I think I... Around the time of Barcelona, my limited game was pretty good, and then I kind of went down. Um, I think partly because I would focus more on constructed 
but also because a lot of the ways that some of the pros approach limited or the way that a lot of the limited content that exists out there I think is, is completely wrong. Like, let's say the Martin Juza, Ben Stark approach to limited where you just, you draft, you know, a curve and you have, like, some removal and stuff and you play two drop, three drop and kill two things or whatever and hope that they stumble and that you kill them. And that works sometimes, but the, the fact is that, you know, this is magic. You don't, you, you sometimes draw a couple too many lands, not enough lands, you don't draw that removal spell or that combat trick, and you sometimes don't have a two drop in your opening hand even if you have seven in your deck, right? Um, so the Siggy school of magic is much more drafting for inevitability. His plan is that the games are going to go long, and at some point, his deck is... The car, if you just show all the cards in his deck, they'll trump the cards in his opponent's deck. For example, in the, in the recent set, there's Centaur Nur Nurturer, right? A 2-4 for 4 mana. When it comes into play, you gain 3 life, and it taps for any color of mana. Okay. Uh, that card costs 4, but, you know... If somebody's going 2-drop, two 2-2, two, two, three 3-drop, three 3-2 or something, and you just play that on turn 4, both of their cards are now blank pieces of card. Not to mention the fact that you're going to hit your 6-drops more often. And I think people don't play, like, 6 and 7-drops enough in their decks. They don't play cards planning for, for turn 15 or something, you know. They they expect that Limit is going to play a lot more like Constructed, where you really want your deck to be super focused, and that's not necessarily the case. Like, even... Uh, even this weekend, I had a red-black aggressive deck with a ton of removal and um, the two-drop one-three that when you cast a non-creature spell, you get to scry one and gets plus one, plus oh. Uh, it's burning something. Um, and the idea with the deck was that I would I would just play that, maybe play another creature, and then just kill everything my opponent played because I had so many removal spells and just always scry a land to the bottom. So I would stay on a few lands and kind of get virtual card advantage that way because I'd be always drawing spells. But even in that deck, I put a 5 and a 6 drop in because that's just how magic is. You just want to have some big things because the games do sometimes, they don't always play out the way you expect them to, you know. Uh, I think that was a big realization. And also when the, the, the Team Draft Super League started, I, I uh, you know, I knew I was going to have to play on Magic Online for, for that. It's a thing Randy Bueller and Athena Froelich were running. And I was teaming up with Dem Boys, Mike Sigrist and, and Steve Rubin. <laughs> so for that, I I started playing on Magic Online a bit more, and main, mainly drafting. And so normally I would get just the team drafts that we would get in, but you get a, more of an experience. It's very different drafting in a, a team when you're with Hall of Famers, MPLers, Platinum right. Pros, versus when you're just drafting online against whoever joined in the queue. Because often I would find that at Pro Tours I would do worse in day one drafts, but better in day two. When day two, you know, the competition level is higher. And why is that? Like, you know, you should be drafting very differently at world the World Championships than you are at your FNM is, is the reason. Because at the World Championships, if you get past a fifth pick, Obnixilis is cruelty. You know, that's a big strong signal. At FNM, maybe somebody just took, you know, a, a foil rare or they took some some wacky card you don't really know. Right, the, right. The card evaluations aren't necessarily in sync with yours. Uh, and so you have to evaluate that differently and take it with maybe more of a grain of salt. Uh, so since I started doing that, I've, I've generally had more success on day one drafts. I think I've... I've 3 0 at least three times on, on day one, whereas before I think I maybe done that twice in all my career. And I've done that three three times in the last two years. So So do you think like people's like from our circle of friends, let's say, like their criticism of, of maybe your limited game wasn't there, what was 
fair? Like before you you start? Uh, I. Th- I think to a certain extent, I think I wouldn't necessarily put the level of preparation into draft that some people did. And I think dr- limited and draft in particular is uh, a skill that you, you build up over many, many years. Like if you look at the people who are thought of as draft masters, they've been playing basically since the beginning. They've been playing for 20-something years. And even though I've been playing for now like 12 years or something, you know, Magic, I'm st- that makes me a relative newcomer to the pro scene. Right. It, the, most, most of the people who are on the pro scene really have been playing Magic forever, and they've been on the pro tour for a long time, too, because these, these things take a long time to build up, and it's kind of a red queen race that, you know, you're, you're, everybody's trying to improve. So even if you're, if you're starting in and you're trying to improve, well, everybody else is a head start on you, and they're doing the same stuff as you are. So how do you actually catch up? And so now I think I have a bit more of a body of experience and I've done more drafts. I still don't draft as much as some of the people. Like Ben Stark just loves drafting. You know, yeah, yeah. He just, he'll dress, he'll, he probably drafts like five times every day or something, you know? <laughs> and I can't, I can't compete with that level of drafting. On the other hand, he's always drafting against arena bots now. So, you know, I don't really, don't really see him win that much anymore. <laughs> but but he's, he's, he's one of the guys probably like one of the top five, maybe top three names that come to mind as limited experts. So I, I remember he did like a seminar with, with Luis at a certain GP. Um, but why, why is it that he's been able to, I imagine he, you mentioned his school of thought. Has he still been having just more success with that path? Or it, you know, yeah, well, he's the, somewhat flexible. The thing is, I think, here's a hot take, all right? Okay. I think Ben Stark is strongly overrated as a limited player. <laughs> All right. I think he, I also think I also think he's underrated as a constructed player. He's just a very he's a very good magic player. All right. And despite the, the sounds of a blender in the background, it's not my voice being edited. I, I do think Ben Stark is a very skilled magician. Uh, however, I think that you know a lot of the ta- time you know it's you know, you heard the expression never let the truth get in the way of a good story. The magic magic community, especially coverage, is often guilty of that to a certain extent. I think there's a lot of narratives that are more fun to let stick around rather than the truth is much more, you know, gray area and maybe not as fun. And Ben Stark did have an effect on Luis. Luis was drafting, you know, mono seven drop control back in the day or something. But Luis is still a great magic player. He's still, you know, drafting reasonable decks a lot of the time. But Ben... Ben just kind of, the thing with him is he focuses a lot of his energy on draft because that's what he finds really fun. For him, constructed preparation is more more work, you know, he doesn't enjoy it as much. So he's naturally going to become better at limited because that's where he puts more of his time. And he has a lot of experience with that and he, you know, he has a good understanding of limited, but I think I think he's not the best. Maybe, maybe he's, you know, one of the top five limited players in the world right now, but he's definitely not number one. In my opinion, in my opinion. But I think he actually is really underrated for constructing. He comes up with new decks, and often, you know, decks he posts about in our in our groups that we laugh about him about, you know, because we're like, this is so outrageous. Sometimes, like the Grand Prix the week later, almost a carbon copy of that deck will win, and we're like, wow, Ben's just a secret genius, you know. So he's a, he's a really unusual human being. I like him a lot, and but you know, he's he's very unreal, and he so he often gets gets poked fun at a little bit inside our group, but. You know, he, he's just so unusual. Like, 
for our draft camp, right? We have all these cards we've we've created to try and to try and make you know these fake drafts. And Ben comes in a couple days early. Sig Siggy's like, "Oh, I'll sit out the draft so you can draft Ben." Ben drafts a deck and then finds out that on Arena sealed exists, and then he's just gone. He doesn't even play a match for the draft. He he did zero matches of draft prep for this for this tournament. He played a bunch of sealed, and it's just like this this, this is this is Ben Stark, you know. He, he just he much rather just be playing Magic on his computer than like anything else in the world. And it's great. He's just uniquely him. But I yeah I I think I think there are much more nuanced versions of draft skill and I think that you know often in recent formats the Siggy school of thought has been of, of drafting for inevitability having card advantage and you know pl planning to play long games where you can grind out your opponent has been a better way to approach limited than you know two drop three drop curve out because the, the, the aggro decks in limited if when they work out you'll win but they they're inconsistent you know and sometimes these control decks that only have three two drops and the aggro decks have seven, if you both draw a two drop, well, when, the, when you get to turn five and aggro decks drawing more two drops and the control decks drawing five drops, you always get a more powerful card and limited for five mana than you do for two. You know, it's so. So, uh, so, so you're saying there's a limit, inside joke, there's a limit to the amount of traveling philosophers you can have in your deck. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I would not recommend having five or six of those. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I've, I've built those decks on MTGO before, ha super worried about my curve, and then realizing, like, when it doesn't get there, things fall apart. Um, what do you think about War of the Spark specifically? Do you think it's, like, fast, slow? Like, it's it, slow. It's, it's slow. good so, for the secret school thought? Yeah, definitely. It's it's interesting because, yeah, I think the aggro decks in War of the Spark are pretty bad. It's been my my impression. I think the two-drop, three-drop plan is... is Almost never works. The only way it works is when your three drop is like a trusted Pegasus. That card is really good. Flying, flying is excellent in the format, which is different from aggro. Just having like getting on board faster. Though I think board presence is also important because a lot of the card advantage in the format comes in the form of planeswalkers, where you know if they get multiple activations out of them, you kind of you snowball away with the game. But if they can just attack it and kill it right away, you know, you only kind of got one card or half a card worth of value or something. So cards like uh, Tamiyo's Epiphany, you know, formerly known as 4C, Scry 4, Draw 2, uh, while those cards would be like super high picks in previous slow formats, I think it's still a good, great, good card in this format, but it's not as good as it would be in a format that's equivalently slow, because I think getting on the board still matters, but it's about what you get on the board with. So I think it's really a mid-range fest in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think the control decks, like the that plan to go really long, you do want to have some kind of busted rare to play to in the late game because there's just so many really powerful rares that, that somebody can trump, a, you know, you can come up, get ahead three cards through exchanges during the game, but then somebody can, let's say, a, a God Eternal Ketra and suddenly all the cards you're up doesn't really matter. They're going to crush you. They're going to bury you. So... I think, I think I think we're, we're just going to keep it uh, around a half hour range because I want people to actually like finish these and, and, and want more. So oh, that and that's a very very big ask. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, well, we'll have to do like I I think I'm going to get complaints uh, from from listeners if I don't ask you this. I, um, just your 
reaction to, to the whole Yuya, Yuya thing and just people probably just want to know like how you felt and how, how people felt at, at the tournament site just shocked or alright so it's about half an hour so we should cut it off no. uh, so yeah I mean I'm, I I ID'd with Yuya in the last yeah, round yeah that's the thing so <laughs> so you know I I, I, see, I check go to the, walk to the pairings I see him against Yuya I walk. I see him walking towards the seat. I say, "Yuya-san." He turns around, and he said, "He says, he says to me, ID." I'm like, "ID." He's like, "Oh!" He puts his hand over his heart. Oh, you know, the, the relief is palpable in him, and I feel the same relief because you know, if if you want to, if he wanted to play, or I wanted to play, right? The loser's just out. So we go. We get called for a future match, but no, we're just IDing. So we wait around until we get the slip. And I thought that was it. I thought both of us were in the top eight because look at the the standings. And then I'm just, you know, people are congratulating me on either in real life or on online. And one of one of my friends, Tom Martell, messaged me and says, "You've been DQ'd." I'm like, "What? Are you are you joking with me? Like, what's happening?" I, just, you know, it's like, no, they just announced it on stream just now. Mark cards. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And like, you know, and other people are getting similar messages because we're not watching the coverage. We're just standing there like waiting for top eight announcement, basically. And and just we're like just all in shock because you is someone who over years and years cultivated so much respect from the community he's just you know cheater or not he's an incredibly skilled magic player and one of the few like on your short list of yeah. people that yeah that no he's he's someone like in fact I played against him deep into Pro Travis and restored and he was the player who I think outplayed me the most in that tournament and I got lucky because I was playing Miracles and I, and I beat him you know I, just drew, I drew an Entreat the Angels sorry that you outplayed me here, bro. But now I have the seven four four flyers and the gets, miracle. Man. Yeah, the mir- the miracle man. Better lucky than good. You, you know that's that's if you need one one short clip for how to get how to how to win at magic. But so we're just all you know. I'm I'm there with chatting with BBD because we're both you know ha- really happy with top aided and we're just like what is what is going on and we're you know. Huey comes up and is just like, my mind's blown. What's going on? You know, all, none of us, can, we can't believe it because, you know, why, why, why would someone in this position cheat? It just like, it's a huge blow because that's like what a lot of us believe in is that, you know, you, you play good magic, you play honest magic, and you, you get success from that. And Yuya was, you know, a figurehead of doing that, of a long career of playing excellent, high-quality magic. You know, someone we watch many times are like, wow, what a master. You know, he played that beautifully, and he managed to take advantage of his opponent's small mistake and win from a game, you know, that he wasn't favored to win. And just now, like, makes doubt, like, how many people are cheating, right? Like, you know, it's like a game of werewolf. You know your own identity. I know I'm not a cheater, but everybody, nobody's going to say that they're a cheater, but who, who is, you know? Like, and I've had some moments before where I already... I've become a little jaded, you know, because I've, right. I've seen people caught. But often, like my, I'm not good at catching people shuffle cheating or having mark cards or something. I can't. I'm. That's not. That's not a skill that I have. But I am fairly good at evaluating how good someone is at magic. And then, so if they their results are hugely disparate from that, like somebody like Jared Betcher was top eighting almost every Grand Prix, and I watched him play like one match of Magic, and one turn he did the same play that I would every other turn. I think he made a mistake. And I'm just like, how is this? You know, I have to wonder: Am I really bad? And am I just missing something? And he's a genius, or something's know, up? Something's up. And when you talk to other people and they have the same impression you do, well, either you're all morons or, you know, and this person's a genius or something's up. And the larger the sample there, 
eventually it gets more and more suspicious. That's why Jared Betcher gets caught, and a lot of pros are like, oh, I, I, I knew he was cheating. And it's like, well, and everybody's like, why didn't you call it out before? It's like, well, the only way they knew was that he was not playing well, and he was winning a huge amount. And that can happen a little bit from luck, but over a large enough sample size, you know, luck ran to zero. But with someone like Yuya, you just can't catch catch that because they're just they're great. So you know, someone who it's hard to differentiate between someone who should be winning, let's say, 67% of their matches at the Grand Prix level or 70% of the matches at the Grand Prix level because they're cheating. You know, and I really wonder if the additional pressures of the MPL led to 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 this stuff, or you know, maybe maybe. His statements are right, and he just got incredibly unlucky with those cards just being marked. I, I am inclined to think that the evidence speaks for itself, and that it's sadly, it's uh, it looks like someone who I respected for a long time is has been has been cheating, and I, you know, you never know how long it's been happening. It always casts a, a shadow over all the previous results. And like someone like you, I'm sure a lot of those results, you know, could have gone on, been gone honestly. But you know, maybe instead of having five top eights, you only has four, right? And again, it's been seven years since my previous top eight. You know, if, if if like I'd won one more match in every tournament I played, I might have seven top eights by now or something. You know, that that the margins in Magic are so small that cheating can just push you up a little bit. You know, if you get to keep that opening hand because you can see the top card is going to be an Urza Tower. That can just that can change a, a loss to a win, and it's 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 just really disheartening because it it just this is this is what I've spent a lot of my life and my energy doing, and right. to see someone who I thought was the same way, you know, that they also did this, and I think you know I think Yuya has put a lot of his effort in life into trying to be great at Magic and to win at Magic tournaments, but the allure of the dark side that you know these the way to to get even more you know. As, it's it's just really sad, and I think a lot of other people felt that way. And even though I, you know, I'm waiting in, waiting to be announced for top eight of, of the PT, we're, I'm backstage with a bunch of people, and we're all just kind of a little bit sad because, you know, the the, the joy of the day was tainted by by this. Yeah, we. I think we want to see a storyline of someone that is really skillful, getting the recognition, getting what yeah. their skill deserves. Um, I wonder, reading threads, I wonder if you agree with this. Like, people try to, like, dissect, like, his motivation. Like, why would he do this at this particular time? But we've seen in the past that you, the reasons don't have to be explainable. Like, people, why do they cheat on camera? It's like... Okay, like you would be dumb to do it, but they did it, and and I think people are looking too hard and calculating. With uh, a friend of ours, you know, the, Dan Lanty, Dan Lanty got yeah. got caught at a Thursday night or Friday night magic, right, on, on camera. And it's like there's no reason for him to ever do that, but you know, you can't, you don't have to explain everything from a EV or whatever perspective. They they just did it. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things skills I have in magic and just in life, I guess, is life skills that I think I'm pretty good at understanding how. I other people think and so I think that helps me a lot of magic because when someone makes a play that I, looks bizarre I can try and you know ba- reverse engineer what what their hand is and why they made this play assuming that they're a logical person and so like I, I often in, when stuff like this happens I try and put myself in the mind of a cheater like you know with, with Dan Lanthe or with Yuya like with Yuya you know it's maybe the pressure of the MPL that if, that you, end up, if you end up yeah. 33rd 
you know, before you'd still be platinum, you'd get to still qualify for all the pro tours, even if you fell down to gold, right? You still just get to try again next year. With the NPL, it feels like, you know, you're 33rd, you're done, you're out. You know, you don't have a job. You know, you either have a great job as a member of the NPL or nothing. And that's just, that's a lot of pressure. I can feel that pressure too. It doesn't motivate me to cheat, you know? It, it makes me makes me nervous about things it, it you know it, it hasn't necessarily benefited my mental health in the, in the best ways but I can understand how someone else would feel the, the, the pressures in a different way and with Dan Lanthia I think you know he's someone who had kind of a middling level of success for many years you know he would be let's say bronze or silver sil silver level for like five years in a row and you, you, someone like that sees people around them having having success and there's a certain amount of hubris I think that you think that you deserve that success right right right, right. that you deserve to be in that top instead of that other person and you're only getting unlucky against these bad players or something right like Fabrizio Anteri, when he wrote an article about his time cheating, he wrote, you know, that how he would cheat in Grand Prix by stacking his deck basically only against bad players because he felt they couldn't possibly win the event. They were just there to like stop him from having his chance to play these matches against great players. And I, I agree that matches against great players is a great thing in Magic, and certainly top eight tournaments is a nice feeling. But obviously, everybody's there. Everybody deserves their chance. And you know, one of the facts of Magic that makes it both annoying and wonderful is the fact that anybody can win in any given match, right? But you get into the mindset of that you deserve this and that these people are just taking something away from you. And you can understand how that seductive thought process can can lead to you like cheating to, to you know, to putting your thumb on the scale in your favor so that, you know, Dan Lente, he's, oh, I just got so unlucky I milled both my stomping grounds. I'll just shuffle one back in because I deserve to win this match. I shouldn't lose to this, you know, person who, who this noob or whatever right, because, right. Be, because I just got really incredibly unlucky here or something. Says, well, no, you should, you know. Like, I've had matches where, for instance, my opponent's playing, like, green-white hate bears, and they have a bunch of creatures in play and a mirror and crusader, and I, I was playing, like, scapeshift, and I cast fire spout, and they just put all their creatures in the graveyard. It's like, no, the mirror and crusader is protection from green, and fire spout, even though I'm playing it for red, is still a green spell. Your mirror and crusader stays in play. And two turns later, I die to the mirror and crusader. You know, but it's very easy in those spots to just, like, let it go and let your opponent put their mirror and crusader in the graveyard. I can understand that, you know? I can understand someone who would do that because they feel, oh, this person's too stupid to, to realize their own thing, I deserve to win, and that that level of entitlement is is a real problem. I think that's where a lot of cheating and magic comes from. Yeah, I think Dan actually revealed that's that's the reason in his open letter. I guess open letter to to Watsi and uh, so we we have. I guess I don't mean to say I didn't mean to say think, thinking about what I just said unexplainable but not like the obvious reasons people think people aren't thinking about the pressures of the of the MPL people aren't thinking like like they just think that why would he cheat when it's on camera and stuff like that not that you know the whole deserving angle might be alien to, to a lot of people who, who see the evidence for the first time right well I think there I, mean, I think there's that reason for some cheaters and some cheaters they just they become so used to it that and it's like you know shoplifters they they get high off the rush of getting away with something not necessarily that they feel like they deserve it they can they can just you know be excited by the thrill of, of cheating and cheating on camera could be like the, the highest thrill of all right and getting away with that and sometimes they just get so used to cheating that's just what they do like Katsuhiro Mori for example is a player who I don't think he can help himself I think he'll just cheat whenever 
whenever he can, whenever he thinks he can get away with it. And I just, you know, in spots where it doesn't even make sense, really, he'll still just, because he's just compulsive. And some people are like that. I think they just become compulsive cheaters. Effectively kleptomaniacs, you know, of the of where the, instead of stealing objects, they're stealing equity from their opponents. <laughs> and it's just... There's a lot of different motivations for why various people do various things. You know, just like I think the reason people play magic in the first place all comes from a variety of reasons. You know, some like Vorthos, Spike, J Timmy, Johnny, and it's it's the, one of the great things that there's just all kinds of people in the world. But certainly, when it comes to cheating, I, that's one thing I'm I'm happy about the move toward digital magic because I think it's going to be you know harder and harder to cheat and. I'm a big fan of that, even if I miss out on a lot of the gathering that happens, you know, with the fact that I'm not traveling to GPs, I don't see my friends as often. But that's definitely a downside, though. Having recently come back from some flying through Toronto Pearson Airport, which I think is designed to make you miss your connection as much as possible, uh, I don't really, don't really miss flying out every weekend and stuff for, for Grand Prix. That part, you know... If, when they invent teleportation, <laughs> that would be great. I'm actually looking for maybe. The thing is, it's it's hard for me to tell if um, if it's because I got older and and got married and etc. If uh, magic was more interesting to me back, or if it was because of the old PTQ system that I saw people like you, shouts to people like Cal Duncan or all these people that I would see at these bigger PTQs that would go to Toronto, and now with the return of the Mythic Championship qualifiers, I'm I'm going to see for for real whether it is these old style PTQs that that I miss to see. Like Andy is going to come down. Um, Andy Football Peters? Andy Football Peters. Kingston's number one <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> and all these different people are going to come down, uh, I hope, for the Montreal MCQ. And, and um, I might feel, have that gathering feel again. And uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, even when I wasn't able to play PTQs, I'd still come sometimes to just bird, you know, just to watch. And because there's just a bunch of awesome people. Like, my friends are just there, you know. And I have felt over the years that I just I'm not connected to the local community. I can walk into a local card shop, but I I don't really recognize any anyone anymore. You know, face to face where you work, right? It's now like everybody who used to play there that I knew now they're just all employees, and they're just like, oh, I, after a long day of working, grinding here, sorting cards or whatever, they don't really want to just jam some games of Magic, and so that makes me just not as interested in going to local events either because I don't see people. I think a sign of a true degenerate is someone that works at a car store and still puts in the grind. So shout out to Rob Anderson, Rob Anderson, and Bosu. <laughs> yeah, both both masters <laughs> at the degeneracy. Rob Anderson, GP champion. Rob Anderson, I believe, won uh, a Grand Prix in Toronto. I think uh, a couple years ago, right? Finally, his breakthrough performance after after years and years and years and years of trying to get there. Uh, sad for him. I like like when he won was finally when like GP winners. No one no one cares anymore. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Um, Everybody still cares to a certain amount, but I mean, right now is really the time where GPs are getting less and less value. I mean, they're effectively just becoming giant PTQs. Yeah. And I really wonder if you know ultimately the GP system and the PTQ system should get merged in some way. 
uh, and just have one system for for qualification. No, I just want to be. I just want to win a hundred, a hundred grand at an MC. But uh, let's wrap it up, and uh, I hope people in enjoy. your dreams you can you can always you know <laughs> the background noise of uh, this cast. I think we'll we'll get like top eight magic gets complaints as well, but uh, I think this gives this re reality TV feel that I like, and it's more uh, us talking instead of. Uh, I mean, I, I still I still feel the interview voice that I'm doing. Like, I'm not talking to you normally as I would, so I'm hoping like. Oh yeah, you're definitely doing interview voice, and I'm I'm <laughs> I'm I'm doing my interviewee voice. A yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, not not really. No, I'm just I'm just me. But hopefully, well, things get better. And uh, if you like the show, please like tweet it out, tweet it out to people, and uh, we'll do another one next week. Uh, I think if you're still in town before the first uh, MC qualifier in Montreal, and then we can talk about like what you've been streaming with and, and whatever, and some some more hot takes about who else is vastly overrated or underrated. <laughs> oh, I, I do want to shout out Ben Stark as one of my favorite Twitter follows in MTG because he's one of the few uh, few people with outspoken strong takes. That well, I wouldn't even really say strong takes because most of the stuff he says makes sense. He just says it in a way, in such an authoritative way that it it sounds so bold. But yeah, yeah. I mean Ben Stark is great. As I said, you know, I, and he's also talking about cheating. He's someone who I would be I, maybe you know everybody uses Reed Duke as the example of someone they'd be completely shocked. But was saying ben, I might even be more shocked if Ben Stark was a cheater because he's just literally lived his whole life in a way that it just wouldn't make sense. Like he's he's been living the lie, like the movie The Prestige. He's just pretending to be this person for his whole life to be able to pull off this con if he's a cheater, you know? Because that that's just not what he values in, in magic. And, I, and you should definitely check out his stream if you if you like learning about Limited and watching him make one pick every 25 minutes. Because he goes into that level of depth. And while it's like not great for someone like me because I you know I want to watch him for like three minutes and see and see if yeah well, I want to see if he disagrees with me. I already know what the pick is. And it, you know, he, he wants to explain it. He teaches people, and that's what he's been a really successful streamer for that reason. But I'd also definitely check out Mike Sigger's stream as well, uh, or Siggy, as, uh, as as we all call him. And he's you know he's a great limited player, and uh, I mean. Marcio Carvalho also has has been crushing limited. I mean, those those guys are, are some of the people I would definitely check out if you want to watch if you want to learn about about limited, and uh, if you want to watch constructed. Well, I don't think they stream that much constructed, so you can <laughs> you can watch someone else. Maybe maybe my stream when I finally get get back to it. I'll probably be be doing some new standard. I'm, I'm excited. I love new formats that haven't been fully explored. So check that out. All right, I can't wait to to check. How this goes uh, in the audio lab. So uh, yeah, you should you should follow KYT on Twitter because obviously you guys already 